Hello, my name's Dom, and this is your guide to making it through med school. It's Redwood Ramblings! Hello and welcome back. This is part two of the podcast on hypothyroidism. If you haven't already, make sure you listen to the first part of the podcast. Let's get straight in to hypothyroidism. Yeah, so we're going to talk about pathophysiology and then investigations of hypothyroidism. Yeah, so hypothyroidism is simple in many ways, but slightly more complex in others. So with hypothyroidism, you want to think about is the problem primary or secondary? And what I mean by that is primary means there's a problem with your thyroid itself, so it's not producing the hormones for whatever reason. And secondary means that your thyroid is fine, but there's a problem with the hormones higher up. Most commonly your TSH, so a problem with your pituitary or perhaps your hypothalamus. That means that your thyroid is fine, but it's not being stimulated to produce the thyroxine. I see, I see. Okay, okay. So that's either primary or secondary hypothyroidism. So primary... Your thyroid not producing thyroxine. Secondary, your hypothalamus or pituitary not producing the stimulants for your thyroid. That's correct. We used to also call the hypothalamic thing tertiary hypothyroidism, if you've ever come across that. But I think you can just, for ease, you can just group them into either primary or secondary. Primary means problem with the actual organ. Secondary means something else. That's the problem. So with primary hypothyroidism, which is when your thyroid isn't producing enough thyroxine, the most common cause worldwide is iodine deficiency. Because like we just talked about, you need iodine to create thyroxine. So it's quite common in parts of the world. In the UK, we tend to be fairly good with our iodine consumption. Okay. So across parts of the world, there's iodine deficiency, and that's making up for most of our cases of primary hypothyroidism that's correct okay in the uk and the us for example the most common cause is once again autoimmune so the thing called autoimmune thyroiditis also it's called hashimoto's if you ever heard that they're the same thing so what that is is your body producing antibodies against your thyroid gland some of the most common ones are called anti-thyroperoxidase antibodies or anti-tpo Okay, yeah, I've heard of these. There are many other ones. And actually what they do is they just target different parts of the synthesis cycle for thyroxine. So if you can imagine, there's lots of chemical reactions happening, lots of enzymes coming in a different part. And TPO is one of the enzymes that you need to create thyroxine from iodine. So these antibodies just disrupt part of that cycle and stop your thyroxine from being produced. Okay, great. There's also... Um, other reasons why you might have problems with primary hypothyroidism. So there might be something that's infiltrating your thyroid gland. Some examples of that might be things like sarcoid or amyloid, maybe even TB, maybe even malignancy, something that is infiltrating your thyroid and stopping it from doing its actual function. Okay. There's also particular drugs. The most famous example of that would be amiodarone. Mm-hmm. What's amiodarone useful? It's a drug used for cardiac arrhythmias very commonly. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so amiodarone has a really high concentration of iodine just in the way that drug is made. Yeah. So it normally wrecks havoc for your 
um, thyroid gland. So it's it's not overstimulating it. Great question, Don, because in the literature, people who are given amiodarone can have hyper or hypothyroidism. Oh so it my can, goodness! It can go in both directions. <laughs> okay. But hypothyroidism is most common. Okay. There's something about having all this extra iodine in your body that has an inhibitory effect on your thyroid. If that makes sense. And what I mean by all this iodine in your body, I mean amiodarone, the drug, has got like 40% iodine or something in it. Okay. So the fact that you take amiodarone, which increases the iodine concentration in your blood, seems to do some kind of inhibition of your normal thyroxine-producing process. And for most people, we'll give them hypothyroidism. So it would be a primary cause, but um, it can also, in some cases, cause hypothyroidism. But just remember, amiodarone is a classic thing that messes with your thyroid. And the last thing to think about, sorry, this is a lot, is uh, have they had, has somebody had surgery to their thyroid? You know, have they had some of it removed? Have they had radiotherapy to their neck for whatever reason? Because those are things that could have destroyed your thyroid. Okay, yeah. So not having your thyroid might be a cause of not being able to produce thyroxine. The other interesting thing about thyroid treatment is that often people can flick between hypo and hypo based on their treatment. So if you're seeing someone who's hyperthyroid, it's possible that actually there's somebody who's been overtreated for their hyperthyroidism and they've just went totally the other way. What's the pathophysiology of secondary hypothyroidism? Yeah, so like we said before, secondary hypothyroidism is when there's a problem with the hormones above the thyroid. So TSH in particular being produced by your anterior pituitary. These are much less common than primary hypothyroidism. Um, but causes of this could be like pituitary tumours, like a pituitary adenoma is quite a classic thing that you can get, which causes secondary hypothyroidism. Once again, anything that infiltrates your brain, like the examples that I said, sarcoid, amyloid, TB, are all still relevant here. And even having radiotherapy can, you know, damage your pituitary and give you secondary hypothyroidism. One of the interesting causes of secondary hypothyroidism is also called Sheehan's syndrome, which comes up quite often in questions and things. And what Sheehan's syndrome is, is necrosis of your pituitary due to having a really bad postpartum bleed. So it's always people who've given birth recently, okay. lost a lot of blood, lost blood supply to their pituitary, necrosed it, and therefore they're not making their, CH, their TSH. I see, okay. And the classic question is going to be, you've got a postpartum hemorrhage patient they had a loss a lot lot of loss of blood and they're probably going to have some problems with their pituitary hormones hypothyroidism and that's Sheehan's that's correct the other condition that I think we should know about for life and for exams is a thing called subacute thyroiditis yeah this is the uh de quivains uh, yes de quivains yeah yeah thyroiditis is how you'll see it referred to in many textbooks always see it in the exams not sure if i've ever seen it in real life don't know if it really exists but it's always examinable i don't think i have either but you should know about it and what it is is a thyroiditis i.e inflammation of your thyroid that's triggered off by some kind of viral infection okay and it's got a classically a clinical course where you're initially, once you get the thyroiditis, you're hyperthyroid. Okay, so for let's say four to ten weeks after, you you just your thyroid spits out all the hormones it's got stored up, and you have a phase of being hyperthyroid. After which, you have a phase of being hypothyroid. 
So could be a cause of hyper or hypothyroidism, depending where on the clinical course of your subacute thyroiditis you are. Eventually, after 12 to 18 months, most people end up back in normal levels. Okay, so it's quite a long process. I think 12 to 18 months is what it normally takes. But you've got to remember this classic sort of first they're hyper, then they're hypo, and then they're euthyroid. Okay. Once again, it's that time in the podcast where we visit our old friend, the Redwood Riddler. So a reminder of the riddle from part one. The more I appear, the less you see. So riddle me this, what could I be? The answer is darkness. There we are. Thank you, Redwood Riddler. Nice and straightforward. The answer was darkness. So how are we investigating hypothyroidism? So at the bedside, you want to do the same things as you would do for hyper, which is check their heart rate and their blood pressure, because those will be the most worrying things. If you're really hypothyroid, you can be really quite bradycardic. You could go into a heart block, for example, and things like that. So those are the things that you want to check initially. And on their blood tests, you want to... Oh, can I guess? Are we going to do TFTs? Oh, Dom. Good for you, mate. Yes, we are going to do TFTs. But it's important to remember that, you know, if somebody was coming to you tired, gaining weight etc you wouldn't just do their tfts you would also think about their other blood tests you know are they anemic so you want to do their fbc you probably want to check their electrolytes and their kidney function you know so all of this goes hand in hand but obviously thing that helps get a diagnosis is a tfts okay and what you'd find in that case is that their hormones so their t3 t4 would be low yeah because they're hypo but actually the opposite is true for their tsh their tsh would be high because there's no negative feedback okay and you're you can think of it as your anterior pituitary trying really hard to stimulate your thyroid to make something so primary because it's primary hypothyroidism the tsh is normal so it's doing what it's meant to be doing at least so it's constantly overproducing to try and stimulate that thyroid because there's no negative feedback exactly so that's for primary hypothyroidism yeah. okay so what you'd find is low hormones with a high tsh but in secondary hypothyroidism, where the problem is with the TSH, you actually find that the TSH is normal or low. So it's not high like it should be to match the low thyroxine yeah. hormones. So there's not enough thyroxine being produced and that feedback loop isn't having an effect because there's a problem higher up the pituitary or the hypothalamus. Yes. Okay. And then once you have confirmed your diagnosis of hypothyroidism, if you think it's primary particularly, you might want to add on your antibodies like you do for hyperthyroidism. So in this case, like we said, you'd add on your TPO antibodies. Okay. All right. So we have investigated hyper and hypothyroidism. So let's talk about the management of hyperthyroidism, first of all. So the management of hyperthyroidism does to a certain extent depend on what your cause is. Okay. Okay. But on in, initially... If you've got someone who's really tachycardic, really jittery, really anxious, really irritable, you can use drugs like beta blockers that slow your heart down just to help with their symptom management. So that's not, a, that's not touching the thyroid hormones, the pituitary or the hypothalamus. That's just giving them a bit of symptomatic relief. 
Yeah, and the reason for that, the reason you do that is because actually you've got to think these people often present to a GP. A GP doesn't have access to specialist endocrine drugs almost. Sometimes they want to wait to get advice from an endocrinologist before they start funky medication. But the thing they can do is symptomatically help that patient. So beta blockers are often used, you know, to help patients with hyperthyroidism. But the actual treatments that you want to use are anti-thyroid drugs. And the most common ones that we use are called carbimazole and propothiouracil, PTU. But definitive management for most hyperthyroids actually does involve destroying your thyroid cells. <gasps> that sounds bad. Destroying. Or removing them in some way. Okay. So one of the ways that we do that in is called radioactive iodine. Okay. Have you heard of that? I've heard of radioactive and we've talked a lot about iodine. So I'm guessing, and this may be from some prior knowledge, that it's radioactive and it gets taken up into the thyroid and then destroys the thyroid a little bit. That's exactly it. Oh, I could be a doctor. You could be a doctor. <laughs> have you learned about this before, Dom? I may or may not have. Okay, great. So radioactive iodine. Taken up by the thyroid is toxic to the cells around it and kills off cells. Because it's radioactive. Because. So it's the radioactive element that's making it toxic. That's correct. Okay, cool. That is the definitive management for people with graves or even a multinodular toxic goiter because it affects the whole thyroid. Imagine we've got a patient, they've taken all this radioactive iodine and it's destroyed most of their thyroid and then suddenly they've, they're barely producing any thyroxine. What, what's the deal? What's, have we, is that a problem? It might be a problem. I think it can happen sometimes, like we talked about. You can over-treat somebody. So it's possible that they might lose too much of their thyroid function and then we have made them hypothyroid, in which case that patient now might need to take thyroxine replacement. Okay, and is that segueing us nicely into the treatment of hypothyroidism? It is, yeah, which is just thyroxine. <laughs> <laughs> the treatment of hypothyroidism is just to give the patient thyroxine. Oh. Right, okay. There's no funky drugs, there's no surgery, there's no radioactive substances. You just give them thyroxine. So you've got your TPO antibodies, they're positive. So we know this patient's got Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Okay, well, you still just give them thyroxine that's right they've they've had radioactive iodine and they've got no thyroid left or they've got barely any thyroid left so we just give them levothyroxine yeah the other thing to know with hyperthyroidism is that some people also have surgery instead of radioiodine or perhaps after it if it hasn't been effective so you can have a full thyroidectomy where you lose the whole thing or maybe a hemithyroidectomy if you're just trying to get rid of part of your thyroid that has let's say, a toxic adenoma on it. Great. So just to summarise, for hyperthyroidism, you've got antithyroid drugs like carbimazole and PTU. You've got radioactive iodine and you've got potential surgery. And for hypothyroidism, you've got the drug levothyroxine, which is like a fake T4 that we give people. These are how people generally present to the GP, but there's an extreme emergency version of both presentations of hyper and hypothyroidism. One is called a thyroid storm, if you've come across that. So a thyroid storm is someone who has hyperthyroidism, but something happens, an infection, an MI, something that ticks them a little bit over the edge and they end up in a state of crisis 
when they come to hospital. So they're extremely hyperthyroid. So th what that would mean is they're very tachycardic, their blood pressure is very high, but then they tank and go low and they tend to have a fever alongside that. They're very agitated and very unwell. We won't go into the treatment of that, you know, but it's just good to know that thyroid storm is the emergency presentation of hyperthyroidism. Okay. Similarly, there is a thing called a myxedema coma, which is extremely hypothyroid person. Once again, probably somebody who already had hypothyroidism, probably quite untreated. Then something happens, an infection, something that triggers their body to not be able to keep up this hemodynamic stability anymore. And they end up in hospital, very hypothermic, so very low temperature, always very bradycardic, probably got some kind of heart block going on not managed to keep their blood pressure, and they also end up in quite an unwell situation. Okay, these patients are really going to need some specialist treatment. This isn't something we're going to see in GP. Definitely um, not. You're going to be asking for some help. They're very unwell. They almost always need intensive care and input from a specialist endocrine doctor. Particularly thyroid storm has a really high mortality. It's got a mortality of about 25%, even when it's treated. Wow. Okay. So, but it's not common, so it's okay. Liz, have we covered thyroids? I think we've done it, mate. If the students have still got questions, where are they going to send them to? They're going to send them to redwoodramblings at gmail.com. Don't say it like that. It's a real email address. <laughs> I won't believe it until I see it, Dom. <laughs> it's time for our other regular feature of the show. Now, when's that for what? Is it because it's Latin? Why that word called that word? It's dometymology. That's right, dom etymology. So we talk about the origin of words, normally related to medical words. Today we're talking about the disease of malaria. Many of you may know that malaria actually comes from the Italian malaria, which means bad air. In the 18th century, when malaria was commonly found in Italy, alongside the river, along the marshland, Physicians at the time linked the fevers, the symptoms of malaria, to the bad air that they thought was found on the marshland. And that is this week's Dometymology. Now, when's that for what? Is it because it's Latin? Why's that word called that word? It's Dometymology. Okay, Liz, we are now going to go back to our questions um, and we're going to whiz through them. Hopefully, we've covered the answers. So, question one was You're investigating a patient who presents with exophthalmos, a goiter, and signs of hyperthyroidism. They are diagnosed with Graves' disease and have no contraindications to any treatment options. What is the first-line definitive treatment for this condition? Is it a thyroidectomy, bisoprolol, carbimazole, levothyroxine or radioiodine? Okay, so we covered this during, um, during our chat. So they've got Graves, no contraindications to any treatment options so the definitive treatment for this is is going to be radioactive iodine that's right next question you are a gp reviewing a young woman who complains of feeling tired and cold always she has known hypothyroidism and takes 75 micrograms of thyroxine a day you decide to increase her dose to 100 micrograms per day when would you next check tfts is it as soon as possible her next annual check date six weeks Six months, it, or 24 hours after changing the dose. Okay, so we didn't cover this in our, um, in our chat, but nevertheless, it's a question that's examinable, isn't it? It's very important to know, yeah. Okay, so this is a bit of a tricky question because 
she's been seen and her dose has been increased. So it's already been increased. So we're not going to check her TFTs there and then because we've only just increased it. Mm-hmm. So that seems a bit pointless. So it's not going to be as soon as possible. And it's not going to be in the next 24 hours. The next annual check date, that could be any time. So that's no good to us. Um, the other option, six months. That's quite a long time after, isn't it? So I'm going to guess six weeks. It is six weeks. I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, so you've got to wait six weeks at least to check someone's TFTs after you've changed their dose to see if it's making enough difference. The reason for that is to do with the half-life of all your hormones. You want to sort of get rid of them and make sure you're at a stable point when you check their TFTs. And most people will pick about six weeks. Great. Okay. So the third question was, a patient has their TFTs checked. The results show a low T3, T4 level and high TSH. What is the most likely diagnosis? So that's a low T3, T4 and a high TSH. Is it normal? Is it Graves' disease? Is it primary hypothyroidism? Is it secondary hypothyroidism? Is it a pituitary adenoma? Okay, so it's not normal. The first one, we can rule that Are one. Are you sure? <laughs> um, Graves' disease, they should be hyperthyroid, so it's not Graves' disease. Um, primary hypothyroidism, so if it's primary, their TSH would be high, should be high, and their TSH is high, so it's probably primary. So secondary and pituitary adenoma, that, that well, pituitary adenoma is a cause of secondary hypothyroidism, isn't it? So it's probably not either of those two. So let's go with primary hypothyroidism. That's correct, Dominic. You are asked to review a 32-year-old woman who is 48 hours postpartum on the postnatal ward. She delivered her baby by emergency C-section and had seven litres of blood loss requiring transfusion. She was very lethargic, bradycardic and failing to lactate. Her blood shows she is not significantly anemic. What is the most likely cause of her symptoms? Is it a pituitary adenoma? Sheehan syndrome? Hashimoto's thyroiditis? Subacute thyroiditis or Graves' disease. So unbelievably, this lady's not significantly anemic despite losing seven litres of blood and having a Magical. Um, but there's only one answer, isn't there? It's Sheehan's. It's Sheehan's syndrome. That's right. And the last question is, a patient with a diagnosis of Graves' disease is receiving treatment and is advised to not sleep in the same bed as their partner for 22 days. What treatment did they receive? Is it propothiouracil or PTU? Is it high-dose thyroxine? Is it radioactive iodine? Is it carbamazole or is it finasteride? Interesting. So not allowed to sleep in the bed, same bed as a partner for 22 days. Okay. So PTU can be used to treat hyperthyroidism. Don't know. It could be that. High-dose thyroxine is not used to treat Graves. Treat Graves. That's So that's... Can't be the case. Radioactive iodine is used to treat Graves, but so is carbimazole. Um, finasteride, I know, um, I think pregnant women shouldn't handle it. I think it's toxic, isn't it, to pregnant women, I think, or to the, to the baby, possibly. So I'm going to go with radioactive iodine. It is, yeah. Why is that? It's quite a... Because it's radioactive, Dom. It's, a, it's quite a funny treatment to receive. You have to follow lots of rules after you get it about how far away you stay from children and pregnant women and people in the supermarket, you know, for a certain number of days afterwards because technically you're still radioactive and it would be like giving the person that you're living with a dose of radiation for free. 
Well, that is interesting. Okay, well, Liz, we've done it. So um, I just want to thank you. Thanks so much. We're going to hear from you later on in the podcast at some point. The only thing left to do now is say goodbye to our listeners. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Happy thyroid. Remember, if you've got any questions, suggestions or corrections, please send them in to redwoodramblings at gmail.com. Bye.